It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. And we're off and running. Your favorite public affairs radio show is on the air. My name is Adam Ritz. Thank you so much for joining me. Jay Baker in the studio. How are you, Jay? Hey, I'm doing great. Looking forward to another show. Jay, uh, you and I like to talk about things that hopefully make the planet a little better place. Uh, Today, in honor of the Oscars, the uh, 91st Academy Awards coming up, we're going to talk about Um, Live Aid and what that meant in 1985 for helping to feed some hungry people around the planet centered around the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, which is up for five Oscar nominations this year. I think that's impressive. You're, you know, when you look at biopics, you don't think that they're going to have the impact that they did. This movie really underscored what an amazing talent Freddie Mercury was. And then, as you said, vis-a-vis Live Aid, they ended up being... They literally stole the show at Live Aid and became the act everyone talked about. And this was a show that featured the very best British and American musicians at the time. So pretty impressive stuff, I think. But first, we want to say hello and thank you to our underwriters at Vibonomics. This is the Adam Rich Show, powered by Vibonomics. And if you want to learn more about their audio experience software and how they're helping retail spaces across the country, uh, for example... I know they're in a lot of convenience stores across the country. So if you walk into a convenience store and you hear a cool song, some music, maybe some Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, the song ends and you hear a voiceover promoting that uh, company's rewards program, that is probably Vibonomics that you're listening to. And you can learn more at Vibonomics.com. Before we move on to talk about Live Aid and feeding the hungry uh, across planet Earth, I wanted to... Uh, give props to a corporate uh, company we found. We, we love when companies get involved with their communities. This is a great example. Here in the news lately, uh, green initiatives have been very top of mind. Uh, the Green New Deal you might have heard about um, circling around Washington, D.C. Well, we wanted to give a, a shout out to a company called Canton Car Wash in the Baltimore area. They recently gave $10,000 to what is uh, known as the Water Wheel. Um, and I found this interesting when I heard about the water wheel. I didn't know if it was um, some sort of wheel that was taking water and reprocessing it to make it drinkable. Um, but in fact, the water wheel is a wheel that absorbs or takes in garbage and trash right. and refuse out of a, a stream or a lake or a harbor and puts it on a barge to be hauled away for a landfill, and it's keeping the water clean. So we wanted to give a shout-out to Canton Car Wash in Baltimore. Recently gave $10,000 to this water wheel in the um, Baltimore Harbor. Um, they recently raised over a half a million dollars for their second water wheel in the what they call Baltimore's Healthy Harbor. And you can check out on YouTube. If you YouTube search Water Wheel Canton or Canton Water Wheel or Water Wheel Baltimore Harbor, you can see this thing in action. And it's uh, it's a little machine that is, you know, taking garbage out of the water, places it onto a barge, and when the barge is full, it hauls it away. The first water wheel 
has scooped up more than one million pounds of trash out of Baltimore Harbor. That might give you an idea that there was a million pounds of garbage to be scooped out in the first place. I'm always amazed when you hear about things like this. I guess uh, Boston as well had an absolutely heroic problem of just anybody and everybody just used the harbor as a place to dump things. I'm sure for the first 80 years or so, everyone thought, hey, unlimited dump space. Now we pay the price, and I think that it's great that there's programs like this. And it does take local businesses interacting with uh, the customers that they serve to uh, uh, tackle some of these problems. So kudos to them. And it keeps it top of mind, too, for uh, any pedestrian walking by a waterway. Even if you just have, if you just put a piece of gum in your mouth and you've got that little piece of paper from your gum, put, put it in your pocket. Throw it away later, because if you just drop it on the ground, it's going to blow into the water. Um, in the water, our, our earthly resources, you know, we only have one planet, so we might as well all pitch in together and, and help out uh, every way we can. If you want to learn more about Canton Car Wash and their water wheel initiatives, you can check them out at cantoncarwash.com. Congratulations to Canton Car Wash in the Baltimore area. Now, Jay, I like uh, the fact that you used to work in classic rock radio. Well, you still do. Right. You do a lot of classic rock radio. I want to get your perspective on Queen. And this is a fun show to talk about, hopefully for our listeners too, because the you know the normal public affairs show that's talking about water wheels and how to save the planet maybe doesn't go into <laughs> talking about Queen <laughs> in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, but gosh darn it, we're going to do it. Well, you know, there was probably no greater flamboyant artist than Freddie Mercury, and he came along at a time, uh, there was a phrase called glam rock, and David Bowie certainly was sort of the king of that. You know, he'd come out in very unusual costumes. The band Genesis was doing a lot of this, too, where they were mixing theater with music, and uh, even The Who doing rock operas, etc., though The Who certainly were more of a blue-collar style band. But this was a mix and match of several different music styles. Queen comes along, and people were bowled away by the songs and then the ability to sing them because everybody and their brother sings along to Bohemian Rhapsody, famously, of course, in Wayne's World. But how many people could really pull it off? If you ever tape recorded yourself singing along, you would never, ever sing to another song again. It's tough to do. In fact, um, I'm not afraid to admit that I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody 12 times. Uh, 11 times in theaters, and then I've recently uh, purchased it on uh, iTunes. It's available now on iTunes and, and um, Netflix and whatever whatever service you have. Now, I'm always fascinated. I'm, I'm kind of interrupting you here, but yeah. I'm always fascinated as to what people are into artists, you know, artistically. So, were you a Queen fan prior to seeing this film and it just energized your love for Queen? Or, or can you explain the attraction for this? So I was a Queen fan. Uh, I wouldn't say that they were one of my favorite bands of all time, but I did have Queen's greatest hits in, I'd say, 82 or 83, that first greatest hits album they had. I had it on cassette when I first got my Walkman. Yes, I'm that, I'm that age group. Uh, so in 1982, when I got my first Walkman and I started collecting tapes and cassettes, uh, Queen's Greatest Hits was one of them. So I knew every song on that album, forward and back, So I, you know, and I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say growing up or in my adulthood I had some affinity to Queen higher than that. When I went and saw this movie, I just it connected with me. The way they built up to the Live Aid performance, 
Um, the post research I did on Live Aid and Queen and how important that performance was by Queen, it's been noted by some historic rock scholars as the most important 20 minutes of live music ever. Um, so it was a pretty amazing thing. And, and before we get off on too many tangents about Queen, I want to focus on the fact that Live Aid is really the gold standard for live charitable events or live musical concert for charity. Um, that was such an enormous undertaking. And the one thing I regret about being 15 years old in 1985 is that I don't really have any memory of Live Aid. Now, you're just a few years older than me, so I'm going to guess you were, you know, you were 19 or 20 in 1985 when I Live Aid at, happened. Do you remember yeah, Live Aid? I was actually uh, working in radio at the time, uh, and our station was covering it extensively because it was an amazing music event. As you know, it started in England and then finished in uh, Philadelphia. So it literally was a you know continent to continent over the top apparently like around 16 hours worth of music so yes it was an over the top thing and it was back when there used to be a bit more idealism in the world this apparently came out of the fact that the BBC had really 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 hammered home that african droughts were causing biblical style droughts and, and and famines that were killing so many people that they said it was just off the scale. This was at a time period where people saw that and said, we need to do something. You know, Woodstock Nation, if you think about Woodstock Nation, 1969, we can change the world. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the 80s, a lot of cynicism hadn't quite crept in. Rock musicians said, people come and see our shows. We're charging at that time, probably in the fifteen to thirty dollar range before ticket prices exploded, but what if we just took all that money that we would make doing a rock show and send it to Africa? And you're absolutely correct that it took Bob Geldof. Uh, just he kind of exerted his will because the the afterthought on this was, hey, Bob kind of pushed us around. But if he hadn't kind of pushed some people into performing. Live Aid wouldn't have occurred. And now when you think about Live Aid, Adam, can you think about 16 hours of music? We'll call it rock and roll because it really was rock and roll then. But can you imagine music, Wembley Stadium, which is the preeminent venue in London. If you've stepped one foot in England, you know about Wembley. Philadelphia's JFK Stadium was selected. There were 100,000 people in Philadelphia that watched the show. Yeah. And then millions around the world because there were so many different feeds of this show. And now people even go back to YouTube. If you type in like the band Loverboy uh, Live Aid, you can find a segment when Loverboy was on stage. So it really was an amazing event. And it really cut through the cynicism of, yeah, there's famine and people are dying, but we can't do anything about it. These musicians said, no, we can do something about it. Well, in honor of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody being nominated for six, did I say six? I think I said six. Five, five. Five. Five uh, Academy Awards Oscars. And they just won Best Picture for the Golden Globes and Best Actor, Rami Malek, playing Freddie Mercury. I might as well list what they're up for. They're up for Best Picture, Best Actor, 
with Rami Malek, Best Sound Mixing, which is amazing if you've seen the movie. The sound editing, the sound mixing is unbelievable. You can imagine how you get such a unique sound from Queen, from a voice like Freddie Mercury, to, to re... Um, Try try to emulate that voice in a in a movie made today from a guy that died you know in 1991. I mean it's hard to do. So they pull it off amazingly. Best film editing and best sound editing. So in honor of the uh, Oscar awards, the 91st Academy Awards that Bohemia Bohemian Rhapsody is up for, uh, we're doing a little Live Aid uh, memory trip down memory lane right next to Wembley Stadium and JFK Stadium uh, with a few facts that maybe you did or didn't know about Live Aid. Um, we mentioned earlier, it's the gold standard for live events, charity events, right. uh, and musical events benefiting a charity. It raised over $127 million for that famine in Africa. Unbelievable. One hundred twenty-seven In 1985, $127 million. That, that's so much money back today, even, let alone back then. Well, absolutely. If you could just take any social problem today and say, let's put on huge major shows in England, here in America, you probably couldn't pull it off like you pulled it off then. You've got, I don't know, cynicism and egos Mm -hmm. in the way, but everybody was able to at least put that aside and rock and roll for 16 hours and then to take that amount of money. You know, whether that totally cured the famine in Africa, I'm going to guess remains to be seen, but the fact that you could throw $127 million at what at the time was a very, very, very um, catastrophic problem. I mean, as I said about the BBC, they were filling television screens across Great Britain with the signs of you know people dying in the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, something has occurred to me uh, while we've been talking, because I've had a hundred friends ask me, why did you see this movie 12 times? I mean, what was it about this movie that, that connected with you? And I've always said, you know, I love how they built up the entire story in the, in the entire movie to uh, climax at the Live Aid performance. So they recreate Queen's Live Aid performance. All the actors in the movie do it almost movement per movement. I mean, it's amazing how they pull this off. And I stand by that, that that's why I love this movie, the build-up to their Live Aid performance. But it just occurred to me, something I said just in conversation with you on the air just now, the fact that I didn't watch it in 1985 when I was 15 years old. Because I, when I think of July 1985 when Live Aid happened, I was in the thick of playing basketball 10 hours a day on the driveway, uh, riding bikes, and trying to get on my friend's moped. That's where my 1985 15-year-old brain was. And I didn't sit, even think about sitting down in front of the television to watch MTV to see the talking heads and Bono from U2 raise money for Africa. Didn't even think about it when I was 15. So I think maybe that the fact that I was alive and there and could have experienced it and had it in my memories and I missed it maybe is why I love this movie so much. Well, sometimes, you know, when you have this amazing historical perspective on everything. I've had, you know, some of my relatives ask about, hey, you know, Woodstock generation, I don't have the heart to tell them. Well, when Woodstock generation rolled around, I was 11, 12 years old or so, much in the same way, (laughs) instead of watching Live Aid, you're shooting baskets in your driveway. You know, we kind of, for you and I, this slipped past us and you... 
if you're like me, you almost kick yourself. Like, hey, why wasn't I a little bit more ideal in my <laughs> early know. teens? You know? I know. But I think that, that that's what makes it so interesting is these are cultural touchstone moments. And whether they connected with us at the time, I think our historical perspective says they certainly connect with us now. I think it was interesting that you said, let's do this show on this, because we talked about how do you honor Freddie Mercury? I think it's remarkable that the film Bohemian Rhapsody has five Academy Award nominations. And you're right. When you look back and think these guys made a difference, they really were the performance that everyone talked about. Part of the reason the money flowed in the way it did to go help Africa was because of Queen's performance. And your question just now, how do you honor Freddie Mercury as a public affairs show? We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Freddie Mercury Foundation, uh, which gets a huge sort of mention at the end of the movie, too. Um, Freddie passed away in 91, and and a few years later, um, Jim Beach, who is a main character in the movie because he's the manager of Queen, uh, Jim Beach and the rest of the band formed the Freddie Mercury Foundation for AIDS research and HIV research. So if you want more information on that, certainly it's out there. Research the Freddie Mercury Foundation. So back to Live Aid, $127 million raised for the famine in uh, Africa. Here's something uh, crazy to me. So Bruce Springsteen was asked to perform in Wembley Stadium at Live Aid, and he turned it down. And if you think about Bruce Springsteen today, how socially active he is, how uh, forward-thinking he is on charities and foundation work and, and you know making good decisions and helping out your fellow man. Bruce Springsteen missed Live Aid, and that was at the tail end of, of the uh, 1984 album, Born in the USA. So he's arguably one of the biggest stars on the planet. He could have been part of that, and he turned it down. He was absolutely perfect for it. You know, in reading about what happened with some of these artists, because you're right, now that we have a little time to do a postscript in history and sort of dissect, you know, exactly why certain things happened, um, because they put a schedule on Live Aid, interesting footnote, uh, Rod Stewart wasn't touring. They asked him to perform at Live Aid. However, Rod Stewart is so dependent on having a band with him, he wasn't able to put a band together. So think about that. You, you've you been asked to play Live Aid. You're a perfect fit. And yeah. on one level, you'd almost go, well, why isn't Rod Stewart out there? He should be helping. Why isn't Bruce Springsteen helping? So you don't know you know, about the logistics yeah. of it all. I, I found that to be fascinating to read about some of the artists and how they were stuck in certain places and what they could and couldn't do. Um, but you're right. Everybody that was anybody performed in this. Uh, interestingly enough, the band The Hooters played, even though many people in Great Britain were, go, were saying, who on earth are The Hooters? The Hooters were from the Philadelphia area, so it was natural for them to play there. But almost everybody on the British side, because remember there was a strong British presence with mm-hmm. Bob Geldof. Yeah. Uh, going, what's this thing with the Hooters? So you're right. <laughs> it was just a collection of who do you put on that will have maximum impact, and then how do you get everybody to perform, and then how do you get everybody to get along? Because you know, there's a famous story, which I got to tell you, Adam, I know a lot about rock and roll history. You surprised me today. A little-known fact is that Led Zeppelin had what well, 
amounted to a reunion at Live Aid. Mm-hmm. Their original members, minus their drummer John Bonham, who had passed away five years prior to to uh, Live Aid, sitting in for him was Phil Collins, the drummer for Genesis and solo artists, etc. They had what many rock critics call an abysmal performance, and you would think, well, Led Zeppelin. They were the granddad of all British rock bands. How could that have even happened? And as you said, some of the historical blame has been put on Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Hey, you kind of messed it up, mate. I found that to be a, another interesting story about Live Aid. And if you watch on YouTube Led Zeppelin's performance at Live Aid, it becomes an alcohol awareness message when you see how wasted Jimmy Page is. Yes. And you think, well, maybe I should stop drinking so I can <laughs> do my job yeah. a little better. Well, sadly, <laughs> and, and you know, as you said, when you go through dissection, and mine's far sharper than mine, yeah. detected that Jimmy Page had been handed an out-of-tune guitar and he had had just enough liquor on board that he did he didn't know that his guitar was out of tune. So it really was a, a a bit of a debacle for Led Zeppelin. If you go back and look at it, it's not as bad as everyone thought. The big thing came down is they could not hear themselves. There were some technical glitches mm-hmm. because, remember, they were showing this on BBC as well as national television here in America, and they were trying to link things up because they sort of ping-ponged back and forth um, during this 16-hour period that this was on. If you think about this now, if you did the same concert, would the BBC and would the U.S. networks be as accommodating? I mean, that's the other thing, too. This slice of time in the 80s happened at just the right moment. There was a lack of cynicism. There was an energized call to help that people said, we need this – is, this, is, this is an important uh, – thing to be raising money for. Because if you think about it now, if you suddenly said, well, uh, my favorite charity is to clean out waterways or do this, let's put together a concert that'll raise $127 million. You know you'd hear someone go, well, I don't want to do money for waterways. I want to do money for reading programs in school. You'd almost have a tussle as to what is important. So I think it was interesting that there was a world issue that affected the much of the continent of Africa at the time. And then everybody got on board with that one issue. I I think you're absolutely right. If we tried to do this today, every single band would want the money to go to a different organization. Right. And in a way, you can't blame them. It's good that many bands are socially responsible. It's great. I've been impressed with uh, what U2 has done, where they've given away much of their money. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think it's refreshing to note um, you know, it's probably like your economics teacher told you. Once you have uh, around ten or fifteen million dollars in the bank, more money isn't necessarily going to help you. Now, if you had the ability to make more than fifteen million dollars, you would continue to make the money. But I like the fact that the guys in U two said, "Oh no, we've got plenty of money in the bank. Let's start giving this away." And that's that's a refreshing mm-hmm. uh, thing. But as you said, everyone has their own individual thing that they're very in tune with and would give to. Bruce Springsteen has said on record that he's always regretted his decision that he didn't play Live Aid. And I found this interesting. Van Halen also turned it down. Van Halen did not play Live Aid. So, you know, every year that goes by, you you just assume everybody played Live Aid. Because right. you can list the big ones. In fact, they do it in the movie. The Who, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, Led Zeppelin, Phil Collins, Queen... 
Madonna. I mean, you can list every single major artist. All these... And you would just assume, well, I guess Van Halen would have played too. No, no Van Halen, no Bruce Springsteen. And even the British rock guys, you know, at the time, one of the things that made me smile, the band Spandau Ballet. Remember their oh, great song, True. I'm not afraid to admit I love Spandau Ballet. Yeah, Spandau Ballet <laughs> on stage. So you're right, it was a who's who. I've read a lot about Van Halen as an aside. Uh-huh. And my guess is from what I have read about this band, they felt like this was not going to fit in their best interest because they acknowledged that very early on in their career, they had so much narcissism, so much self-absorption early in their career. They only did things for their career. They were the, you know, they were the most successful hair band out of L.A. And when you sort of roll that around in your brain, you, you can almost kind of excuse some of the Van Halen behaviors and the way they were motivated in their career. Because if you think about it, the entire West Coast and even parts of radio were very smitten with what was going on in the West Coast hair band thing, you know, the Whiskey-A-Go-Go scene. Yet Van Halen was the most successful band out of that era. And so they had a what they call a large overhead, and it involves staying famous. When I was 15 in 1985... I can do this now. I'm blaming Van Halen for the reason I didn't watch Live Aid. Because had they been on stage, I would have watched it. I know I would have. I had every single Van Halen album. Uh, I would count them as one of my top five favorite bands when I was 15. Not Queen, even though I had their greatest hits and knew all those songs. Um, So I blame Van Halen for me. Uh, And everybody my age that was 15 in 1985, if you were out in the driveway playing basketball, it's because Van Halen wasn't on stage at Live Aid. (laughs) Well, it is great, though, that Bob Geldof knew that a collection of artists that were going to be very special to British audiences and very special to American audiences, he caught on very early on, hey, we could put together Live Aid. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't this on the heels of the song We Are the World, which is another Bob Geldof project. Yes, uh, you're so close. Uh, it was um, Do They Know Do They Know It's Christmas. Do They Know It's Christmas. Which was um, recorded by Bob Geldof at the BBC by a lot of uh, British pop stars. And at in that song, by the way, has raised $44 million. Isn't that impressive? So with that song, Do They Know It's Christmas, uh, raising $44 million. It prompted Bob Geldof to have the idea to have Live Aid, which has raised $127 million. Both those ventures together sort of tag team. Pretty amazing um, monies raised for people that needed it at that time in the mid-'80s. It's pretty phenomenal. And how cool is it you're Bob Geldof? Uh, you know, the band Boomtown Rats may or may not have connected with everybody. They had a kind of famous song called I Don't Like Mondays yep. that was kind of an MTV-era song. But at the end of the day, just that Bob Geldof had this inkling, of, I, if I record a song, I record kind of a catchy pop song and put a lot of special guests on it so it commands eyeballs, it commands talk, and get that song out there and use it to raise money, uh, then, hey, I got an even bigger idea. People are starving to death in Africa. Let's put together a giant concert. And you got to think that For some bands, it could have been hit or miss because there were a variety of technical problems. Apparently, Paul McCartney, now you have Sir Paul McCartney on stage. He's singing the song Let It Be. Uh, They said, we've got to have a Beatle perform, and they Mm -hmm. reached out to the surviving Beatles. 
Uh, Paul McCartney agreed to do it, but he's doing the song Let It Be. The first two minutes, you can't hear anything because his mic is not working. So it's just Paul's piano. (laughs) Well, guys jump on stage and start singing the song to help him out. You're helping out Paul McCartney. That's what makes the performance by Queen all that much more impressive because Queen, many of their songs are very difficult to perform live. They could have just as easily fallen on their face. Yet, as you said, rock critics now are saying this is arguably the greatest 20-minute live performance in rock history. That's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, any top 10 list you look at, best performances ever. Queen's set at Live Aid is on the list. In a lot of those lists, it's the number one. It's the number one most important 20 minutes in the history of rock and roll. That's kind of cool. Before we wrap things up, uh, what's your favorite Queen song? My favorite Queen song is We Are the Champions. When I was working in radio, we had, I believe the album was called News of the World. Mm -hmm. They sent that album out, and instantly you go, oh my, because the way it starts out with the foot stomp and everything. Oh, yeah. Very impressive. Yeah, the double uh, release with uh, We Are the Champions into, um, oh, that's what you said, We Are the Champions. Yeah, I We was Are thinking the Champions. Of, yeah, uh, uh, We Will Rock You. I we Will Rock You, We Are the Champions. We Are the Champions. Yeah. You can't hear one without the other. No, absolutely. Uh, and if you ever played one without the other, you probably would have gotten fired <laughs> in classic rock radio. <laughs> uh, mine is uh, Play the Game, which was a, a minor hit. It did chart. Uh, it's not in the movie. It's on all their greatest hits. Check it out. Play the Game by Queen is my favorite. As we remember... Live Aid from 1985, raising $127 million. It's pretty phenomenal. And we encourage you to get involved with your communities. Have your own little mini Live Aid. Do something good for charity that benefits a group that needs your help. I'm Adam Ritz for Jay Baker. Thanks for joining us. You can get in touch with us through the website, adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.